You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Peace be with you. Um, As you're physically able, if you could remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, This morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of uh, Genesis. I almost said Galatians. Um, Genesis, we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, our creator, we are humbled that we... Um, have been created in your image, that you have made us in your likeness. We ask, God, that as we study your word this morning, that you would speak to us in new ways that help us to understand what it means to bear your image. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, be present with us fully, that you would um, soften our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to understand what it means to be submitted to God, our Creator. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, uh, if you were not able to join us, uh, we we looked at the six days of creation. Um, Pastor James did a great job providing us with an overview of the intentionality that God took in creation, showing us that God created in an orderly way. If you remember, he he showed us kind of a diagram um, looking at days one through three, um, God creating realms, and days four through six, God creating rulers to oversee those realms. In today's passage, we're going to be looking at God's crowning achievement, his sacred masterpiece, if you will humankind. Over the next several weeks, we'll actually continue to look at the creation of humankind, looking at various things like embodiment, marriage, um, community, work, rest, and more, what it means to be human. 
So all these sermons will be looking at that very question. What does it mean to be human? This is no small question, right? There's, there's tomes of works on anthropology, um, but it is one that we must wrestle with constantly as it helps us to connect to God's mission, the Missio Dei, as we're talking about in our sermon series. Uh, the great uh, reformer John Calvin, he said that it's only through knowledge of self that we can have knowledge of God, but it's also only through knowledge of God that we can have knowledge of self. So as we seek to understand what it means to be human, the biblical creation account, it helps us to see that we cannot know ourselves apart from God. And we see this most evidently in what theologians call the Imago Dei. Imago Dei. Can you say that with me? Imago Dei. That's the fancy Latin term for being created in the image of God. So let's look again at, at the creation of humankind. You can look at verse 26 with me. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in the Imago Dei, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man, here it is again, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. Again, the Imago Dei. He created them male and female. Now, already at the outset, right, if you're looking at the creation account, we see that this creation of humankind is different than the rest of the creation account. Because the things that were created previously were all created according to their own kind, as the scripture says. Genesis 1:11. if you look at that, it says, Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. Genesis 1:21 says, God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. Then again, in Genesis 1.24, God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So all the other things were created according to their kind, with the glaring exception of us. Humans, mankind which we were created according to the likeness or the image of God. That's crazy. God created us to be like him. We are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, today we're going to look at the sermon a little bit differently, okay? Rather than our, our kind of traditional expository method of going line by line, roughly, we're going to look at, look at it from a theological perspective, Okay? So here's what we'll be looking at today. First, understanding the Imago Dei. So what does Scripture tell us about the Imago Dei, the image of God? Secondly, we're going to look at thinking in light of the Imago Dei. So how does this doctrine shape how we think about the world and ourselves? And then lastly, living in light of the Imago Dei. How does this doctrine shape how we actually engage with others? So first, understanding the Imago Dei, the image of God. The the Greek translation of that word uh, is... Uh, of the word image is, is icon, right? Maybe you recognize that word. We have that word in the English language. So you think of the computer icon, right? Uh, desktop icon on your computer. It's not 
the thing, right? But it takes you to the thing. It points you to the thing. Or another metaphor for the image uh, that's popular in church history is that of a mirror. So like a mirror, we're not the thing, but we reflect the thing being God. As image bearers or, or icons of God, we reflect him. We are not God, hear me, we are not God, right? But we are made in his image. This is vital to the the Christian understanding of humanity. Why is that so? Well, this puts us in a special place. (laughs) We're not merely animals. We're more than that. We read from Psalm 8 earlier, right? And that's what Psalm 8 is getting at. King David, the author, he writes, when I look at the night sky, right, he's observing the beauty of all of creation. So when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them, mankind, with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. So you see, this, this speaks to who we are as humans, right? Because we're not gods, meaning we are dependent. We're contingent beings. We're not simply our own rulers over ourselves, though we often like to think we are or act like it. But we're also not just like super apes with like a splash of reason and logic. We are special, but we are contingent. We are dependent on God. So we're, we're image bearers, we're, we're mirrors, we're icons. But what does this actually mean? How, how then do we image God? Well, historically in the church, there, there's three primary views, okay? So we're getting theological, but stay with me, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it down for us, okay? There's three primary views. The substantive view, here's substance, right? Substantive view, the functional view, and then the relational view. So these are all three primary views of, of, of the doctrine of the Imago Dei um, in, the, the, in church history. Um, the first, the substantive view, that is a mouthful. Um, this view holds that there's a specific trait or characteristic that human beings have that reveals our image bearing of God. Okay, so most often, historically speaking, it's mankind's ability to reason, to make sense of the world. There's other ideas too, though, right? Like others look at characteristics of God that have been bestowed upon man, like the capacity to love or, or righteousness or holiness, so on and so forth. But overall, this view, that says, this view says that something in our very being, that which we can't necessarily touch and feel, but something in our very being images God. The second historic view is the functional view. This view holds that the Imago Dei is not something we are, but rather it's something that we do. And the primary idea here is that God has given us, his image bearers, the task of of having having dominion or or ruling over creation, being fruitful and multiplying, as the text said, filling the earth and subduing it. So bearing God's image is, is something we do. It's a function. And then the last historic view of the Imago Dei in the church is the relational view, right? This view holds that just as God is in relationship as a trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, so mankind, his image bearers, are also in relationship. We're in relationship to God and then also to one another, right? So this is seen in the creation account as God creating a suitable partner for Adam 
as we saw in our text, right, he created mankind, male and female, um, in relationship together. Now, as is often my theological bent, if you're like, which one do you pick? The answer is all of them. (laughs) If someone asks you if you want bacon or sausage, the answer is always yes. It's not either or. The same is true for the Imago Dei, right? Like, I don't think we can let one aspect of, of those views fall to the wayside because there's something special to each of them, and each of them reveals how we image God differently, right? The substantive view, I think, holds water. In Genesis 2, right, Adam has just the capacity to reason. He's given the task of naming the animals. He has the capacity to, th- to think, to be creative, to exercise that dominion over creation, to give names to things. He even has the ability to speak to God, right? You have to have um, reason to be able to do that. We also see the functional view, I think, later um, in Genesis, or even in our text today, Genesis 1, that we've been given the task by God at creation to subdue the earth, to to work at it, to to, uh, have dominion over it, to rule it. God has given us and delegated to us the responsibility to have a function, to do something, as he has done. So in that, we image God. And then we also see the relational view in God's creation of of man and woman, right? God says later in Genesis 2 that it's actually not good for man to be by himself. Like we need somebody else for us to properly image God. So I think to try to peg the Imago Dei or the doctrine of the image of God to one of these views, I, I think would reduce the complexity that we as humans are. I think all of these things reflect our humanity in some way. But I also think that we can remain image bearers if if one of these capacities is reduced. What do I mean by that? Well, let's think through some some scenarios real quick. The substantive view, right? If a child is born with severe mental disabilities that reduces their capacity to reason, would we say then that that child is not an image bearer? Or what if your grandmother suffers from severe dementia to the point where she can't make any uh, logical sense of herself anymore, would we say then that she is no longer an image bearer? What about the functional view? Like, what if your spouse gets in a horrific car accident and becomes a quadriplegic? They can't functionally have dominion over creation anymore because they don't even have dominion over their own physical capacities. Would we then say that that person is not an image bearer? Or what about the the relational view, right? For lack of real life examples, I had a hard time with this one, but think of like Tom Hanks and Castaway, right? Aside from a volleyball with his bloody handprint on it, he didn't have any relationships. Would we say that that person then is not an image bearer because they lack relationship? You see, I think there's an irreducible complexity to humanity, which makes our, our image bearing equally complex. So for as long as I would say, as someone has a pulse and it's like beating, They are bearing God's image in some way and in some capacity. So you see, friends, understanding the Imago Dei is key to a biblical worldview. Because when we just say that one phrase, Imago Dei, it communicates an immense amount of information. It says that we believe that God created us. That we believe we're dependent on God. That we believe that all humans, regardless of the fall, still bear that image. It says that we believe that like God, we are beautifully complex as humans. Like God, we have specially been bestowed something in the very core of our being. When we say Imago Dei, it says and communicates that God has given us a purpose or a mission, something to do, a function. 
And of course, when we say we're made in the image of God, it says inherently that God has designed us and we recognize God has designed us for a relationship. That as he is in relationship, so too are we. So the simple word amago day, y'all, it speaks magnitudes. And as such, it, it should impact us immensely if we call ourselves Christ followers. So in light of, in light of understanding this doctrine, there, there's two things then that I want to turn our attention to. First is, is our thinking. Our thinking. How does this doctrine shape how we think about the world? And the second thing... The second thing is our living. How does this doctrine, the, the, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, the image of God, how does it shape how we actually live in the world? So first, thinking in light of the Imago Dei. Y'all, I think uh, one of the things that is plaguing the American church right now is thoughtful engagement with ethics. <laughs> like, when was the last time you had a conversation about ethics? Well, you probably had a lot of conversations about ethics, but you don't realize you're talking about ethics but ethics is an important thing for us as Christians to talk about, to understand, to think about. I think our, our, our lack of ethics, our lack of our ability to recognize what Scripture says and, and put it into practice probably stems from a lot of things. But I think two predominant things is one is from a lack of biblical engagement, understanding what Scripture says about the, the big questions of life. And then two, actively thinking, like using our brains, you know, the substantive view, using our brains to actually think, okay, what does this scripture say and how does this apply to my everyday life? The life in the gray, it's not black and white. Theologian uh, Stanley Grenz, he says this, we are all ethicists, every one of us. We all face ethical questions and these questions are of grave importance. As Christians, we know why this is so. We live, our, we live out our days in the presence of God and this God has preferences, <laughs> God desires that we live a certain way while disapproving other, of other ways in which we might choose to live. Knowing this, we approach life as the serious matter that it is. How we live is important. Our choices and actions make a difference. They count for eternity. Therefore, we realize that seeking to live as ethical Christians is no small task. I fear that many of us, when we think about ethics, either we just like apathetically float along and follow the, the cultural follow the cultural ethics of our day, or we just don't even know, for lack of exposure, the ethical demands that Scripture has on us. Uh, theologians Gordon Lewis and Bruce Demarest they have a, a great um, systematic theology called Integrative Theology. Um, they say one's understanding of humanness ontologically, uh, that is, understanding what it means to be human. Ontologically is a big word. You can look it up later and then write it on your fridge so you can use it in a sentence this week. One's understanding of humanness ontologically, so understanding what it means to be human, has a direct bearing, hear that, a direct bearing on many crucial issues in the contemporary world. So do you hear that? What, what somebody thinks about what it means to be human, right? So what we think about the Imago Dei, it has direct bearing on the big issues of our day, of the ethical conundrums that we all face. So many of the things that are huge issues in our culture today are issues that the doctrine of the Imago Dei being created in the image of God, which we believe these issues are spoken to by the doctrine that we believe. 
Now, lest you think I'm taking shots at your political parties, hold your judgment, okay? I'm going to hit them all across the aisle, so uh, heads up. <laughs> if you still take umbrage with anything I say, you can email me at jfields at sojournchurch.com. Um, and hear me before I start, right? These are complex issues. These are complex issues that people debate all the time in, in our political system. What I'm saying to you is that if you believe in the doctrine of the Imago Dei, that that should drive a lot of these conversations that you're having, okay? So first, coming out swinging, abortion. Belief in the Imago Dei should influence whether or not we believe it's okay to abort a baby. If the soul is created at conception, which I believe, but there's differing views, then I believe that there's an image, bearage, an image bearer there. So then we have to ask the question, when or is it okay to abort a baby, to abort an image bearer? Okay, if I didn't get you with the left hook, here's the right hook, ethnicity. Belief in the Imago Dei should affect our view of how we relate to those who have different skin tones than us. It should affect how we look at issues of policing, exploitative financial practices. It should affect us and create a deep sense of burden within us when we watch yet another person of a different color than us get killed on television. The Imago Dei speaks to that, friends. That's not a political issue. <laughs> That's a Bible issue. Refugees, if I haven't hit you yet, refugees, belief in the Imago Dei should come to bear on just how we relate, okay? I'm not talking about border control, anything like that. How we relate to refugees that are here in our city, how we care for them, how we love them, how we serve them, regardless of their language, regardless of the religion they practice. The Imago Dei should at least speak to that, okay? I'm not telling you where to land on immigration issues, but the Imago Dei speaks to that. Here's another one for you. War. Belief in the Imago Dei. Again, guys, I'm not taking a political stance here. I'm just saying the issue of Imago Dei speaks to this issue. It should come to bear on the aspect of war, right? It should make us ask the question, is war okay? If it is, when and why? On the other side of war are other image bearers, right? So we, we just have to ask the question, not taking a political stance. I know you're writing up your emails already. You just have to ask the question, why, when, how? Here's one that maybe is not talked about a lot, but ageism. Y'all know what ageism is, right? <laughs> Looking down on those who are typically in the American culture are older than you. Belief in the Imago Dei should influence how we treat the elderly. Now, many of you probably don't know this. I didn't know this, but a, a few months ago when we were having one of our Jolly Elders events with our senior adults, they said, this is a quote, our doctors don't care about us because we're over 80. That's an issue, right? <laughs> If no matter how old we are, we bear God's image, that's an issue. Y'all, from womb to tomb, the image of God and others should always be cherished. 
So look again, y'all, I, I just, again, that's all right if, if you're angry or, angry or you got triggered, that's cool. But chill for a sec, right? All I'm saying is the doctrine of the Imago Dei should have a bigger influence in how you view the world than your political party's platform or the social media influencer you follow, okay? The doctrine of the Imago Dei speaks to so many issues, and we have to actively think about it and engage in these hard, sticky issues with that in mind. Okay, so first, we need to be thinking in light of the Imago Dei, but getting a little more practical, we need to be living in light of the Imago Dei, right? It's not just like head knowledge. This should affect our very living, right? This is, should affect the things we do. So what does it look like then to live in light of the Imago Dei? There's three things. First, I encourage you to look for the image of God in others. Look for the Imago Dei in others. In his classic work, The Institutes, John Calvin writes the following, the Lord commands all men without exception to do good. Yet the great part of them are most unworthy, right? He's like, they're all sinful, so they, they actually deserve the worst. But Calvin says here, scripture helps in the best way when it teaches that we are not to consider that men merit of themselves, right? It's not to be good to people because they do good things. But Calvin says to look upon the image of God in all men and women to which we owe all honor and love. So as we relate to the world around us, the reality is that the image of God is in every single person. The fall does not take away the image of God. Hear that. The fall does not take away the image of God. It distorts the image, but it does not destroy the image. If you need scriptural references for that, look at Genesis 9, 6. After the fall, the image of God is still alluded to. James 3, 9, right? It talks about the result of, of us speaking to others as image bearers. So the fall distorts the image, but it doesn't destroy the image. Again, if we think of the illustration of a mirror, right? We're, we're created as like a, a nice, beautiful square mirror or whatever. If you, I don't know what shape mirrors. Maybe you're a circular mirror person. If you like a circular mirror, that's fine. Whatever your mind's eye pictures, right? We're created whole, as whole mirrors to reflect the image of God. But as a result of our sinfulness, these mirrors are then broken, shattered to pieces, shards of glass all over the ground. Now, if I was going to pick up one of these shards of glass, I could still see a little piece of that tree in the, in the reflection, right? Now, I may not see the whole tree because I just got a little shard here, but it still reflects back. The same is true for us as image bearers and, and those that we look to, the people around us as broken and as sharded up pieces of glass as others may be, we can still see the reflection of God in them, whether or not they're Christians. This is hard, y'all. Seeing the Imago Dei in everybody is not easy. Like, I kid you not, throughout the week, that stairwell right there is a haven for drug use. I wish I was joking, but I'm not. And let me tell you, the people that shoot up in a basement stairwell of a church don't always reflect the image of God well. Often, when I encounter them, they're strung out <laughs> or they have mental, mental health issues to where I, I literally, like, I cannot relate to you. Like, I, you're not making sense. Physically, j just rough, like open sores, like swollen limbs. 
It's so hard to see the image of God in them. But I'm confronted with this reality like at least twice a week. One of the things that we as a staff talk a lot about is wrestling like in, in encouraging each other to fight to see that reality in others. Right? That's something like we have to fight for. Because others you may encounter, may, they may even not see the Imago Dei in themselves. So we have to actively look for it and call it out of them. Remind them that they are image bearers. In his classic work, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman, um, he, he writes this. He said, there are few things more devastating than to have it burned into you that you don't count. Say that one more time for the peeps in the back. There are few things more devastating than to have it burned into you that you don't count. So to flip that around a little bit, like few things are more uplifting than having it burned into you that you do count. That you matter. And those around us, they need us to see them as the image bearers that they are. It's not to say we're saving them right? We're, we can't do that. I can't save anybody. But recognizing, looking for, and fighting for the Imago Dei and other, others, right, can at least set them up to maybe see the God who is the one they bear the image of. So friends, as you look to those around you, whether, whether or not that person is a Christ follower, it doesn't matter. The image of God is there. You just have to look for it. Your coworker who pokes fun at you, right? They are an image bearer. Your boss who berates you, they are an image bearer. Your roommate who leaves their syrupy waffle plates on the table, they're an image bearer. It's hard to believe, right? It's like who leaves sticky syrup on a plate on a table? But they are image bearers. Your kids who fight, scream, rebel, kick you, hit you, they are image bearers. The CG member you got beef with, they are an image bearer. All these people around you are image bearers. You just have to look for it. Friends, just as, just as important as it is to look for the image of God and others, you need to see the Imago Dei in yourself. You need to look for the image of God in you. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're, you're an image bearer. Just inherent in your very existence, you have great value and dignity. Pastor James quoted uh, Pastor Jerome Gray last week. It's so good. He said, value and dignity didn't start at salvation, but at creation. That's where you got your value and dignity. Doesn't matter how hard you've lived or how perfect you've been. It doesn't matter how much melanin you have or don't have. It doesn't matter how many IQ points you have or don't have. It doesn't matter how many wrinkles you have or don't have. You are an image bearer. And as an image bearer, you have immense value in the eyes of God. So seeing the Imago Dei in others and ourselves is vital. But friends, because of our fallenness, <laughs> that's simply not enough. The shards of glass are on the ground. It's like, who's going to pick it up? How's the mirror going to be put back together? Do you remember John Calvin earlier said that there's no knowledge of self without knowledge of God? So for us as broken mirrors, we must look to the perfect image of Christ. 
You see, as I said earlier, as broken mirrors, we can't fully image God as we were created to, as we were meant to. So our creator, the one who made us in his image, he took it upon himself to bear the image fully as it was meant to be born. We read this of Jesus in Colossians 1. It says, he, Jesus, is the the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and through him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All mirrors are held together, friends. And he's not an image bearer quite in the same way we are, or rather, we are not image bearers in the quite, quite the same way he is, right? Because he is the perfect image bearer. Hebrews 1, 3, it says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. As broken mirrors, y'all, we must look to Christ and his work to put all the glass shards back together. It is only in and through Christ that we can fully mirror God's image as we were created to do. But paradoxically, right, we won't ever fully be put back together on this side of heaven. We're slowly pieced together, back together. This is, as we do this, this ongoing repair job is called sanctification is the word we use in the church. It means we're being restored into the whole image-bearing capacity that we once we're supposed to be. Look, if you're here today and uh, you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I would just encourage you to, to ponder some of the things that we've talked about. Who, who do you believe you are <laughs> as a human? That's a hard question to answer. What does it mean to be human? How did we get here? If you have answers to those questions, where does that belief come from? What, what do you do with issues of the day? For just a, a happy accident from a giant explosion and or natural selection, like then where does our value of other humans come from? If it's survival of the fittest, then where does justice come from? If you're here today and you're a Christian, Church, I can't encourage you enough to ponder this doctrine of the Imago Dei. We we need to think about what this means, (laughs) right? Like if your ethical answers come from social media, they may not be in line with Scripture. But even beyond thinking, it's not just a rational exercise. We, We need to live this doctrine out. So we need to think, how does the Imago Dei affect my everyday living? For all of us, Christian or not, y'all, it is looking to Christ, who's the, the, who is the exact imprint of God the Father. It's looking to him that we then can live as we were originally created to live as image bearers of the creator God. Every week uh, when we gather together, we partake in a meal called communion together. Um, If you'd like to partake in this meal, there's uh, individually wrapped elements that you can grab in the back. 
as we take this meal together, friends, it's a reminder to us that we look to the perfect image of Christ. We don't look to ourselves to save ourselves, to try and put back the pieces of the broken mirror. We don't look to others to put back the pieces of the broken mirror. We look to Jesus. When we take this meal called communion together, it reminds us of his life, death, and resurrection and the work that he's done on our behalf to redeem us, to start at least bringing the pieces back together to help us fully image our creator, God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, as he was eating with his disciples, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to those disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take and eat the bread together. On that same night, Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said to his disciples, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and drink the cup together. Church, the Apostle Paul, he says that as often as you um, eat this bread and drink from this cup, you're actually pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.